Well, we're blessed to have um, a friend of mine uh, from years ago, and uh, he continues to be a friend of mine, but uh, I was in ministry with him in the late 90s. That kind of puts me in perspective of when I started, started ministry. Uh, and uh, I was the youth pastor at a church called Crossroads Church of Denver, and uh, this guy was my worship leader at the time. And uh, he was serving under me in, in ministry. And then God called me out of that position. And then he took my position uh, into that, uh, that role. And he was the youth pastor there. And then God eventually called him out to plant a church in, in Breckenridge. And, uh, and uh, we, we're blessed to have uh, Jimmy Humphreys with us. So would you welcome uh, Jimmy Humphreys? And you're old, 90s. <laughs> wow. There are so many memories in this place. I remember when we used to do youth retreats here. And this auditorium place would just be like bumping up and like a house party with kids just jumping up and down excited about the Lord. And it's just so awesome to think back during that time. I mean, my kids were just little, like, rugrats running around this place. And I have a 20-year-old now and a 17-year-old. And, man, it just caused me to think, God's done so much in my life, just even thinking about from the last time that I was here to now. But uh, just good feelings, you know. It's, it's a good place to be. We're really blessed to be able to be here over this weekend. And, you know, it's funny how when we have a retreat, And being honest, we sign up for different reasons, for sure, initially. Some of us sign up and we think, oh, I'm going to get out of chores that weekend. It's going to be awesome. And particularly if it snows, then it's like, I don't have to shovel. It's going to be great. Some of us sign up because we think, man, my wife, she's going to be so stoked when I sign up for this thing. Because, you know, wives get excited when men want to take their relationship with the Lord to the next level. So sometimes we do these things and we don't realize that it's not about us. And we're doing it for other reasons and other things. But this weekend, it is all about you. That God wants to do a new and deep work in your heart. We know that we serve the Lord God Almighty, we serve the God of new beginnings. And that's exactly what he wants to do in our lives this morning, tonight, tomorrow morning. And it's God's desire that that we leave and we go down from this mountain changed. Every single one of us changed. And we've all been there before where we've been changed and it lasts a little. You know, we're, little, we're more of a servant when we get back home and we, and we want to jump into ministry in a, in a whole new way. And we're really nice to our wives and take care of our kids. And it doesn't last for some reason. That's why we need these times of being together so that we can be refreshed and so that we can come back to that place once again. And how about this time? The time that we go back down from the mountain this time, that it lasts so much longer because we are filled in such a radical new way that the Lord wants to do in your heart and in your life. So know that this morning. It's not by chance. It's not just because you signed the dotted line and you you worked out transportation to get up here and you're here for the weekend. God has you here. Agreed. Right here. (laughs) You guys hear that? That 
thing that Pastor Eric was, was talking about is alive and well. The alien thing coming through that keyboard, I think. <laughs> hey, we are going to be in the book of 2 Kings this morning, chapter 18. So there we were. Mission trip. Mexico City. It's actually one that, that Pastor Sean took me on. Uh, my first one. I ended up going a second time a couple years later to Mexico City, and we did street evangelism in Mexico City. And one of the days, we had a free day. And so we decided to go to this place, this volcano, and it's, this volcano is called Popocatepe. It's this volcano. It's going to be cooler than the city, and we thought that we would take the whole team up there and just have a day off. And just eat food and play around and just have a, a good old time. Now, it's interesting. Whenever you get a ride out of Mexico City, it's a junk show. It's crazy. They rented a 15-passenger van, and there's 35 of us. And so we're in there all, in, and we're cruising up to this volcano, taking these skinny roads, kind of like the roads that we took here to get to Frontier Ranch. And so we're having a great day, and all of a sudden it starts raining. It starts raining really hard. And there was one moment where we're all together hanging out where lightning came and just went, Kam! and just and we heard it was huge. And then we heard the falling of a tree. We're like, whoa, this is pretty gnarly. What's going on up here? And then it came time where we thought, we need to get out of here for sure. And so we began driving on this, this little 15-passenger bus just kind of swaying down a narrow road. And lo and behold, we come to a, a place where that tree that we heard falling fell right over the road. And, and these trees were huge. They were like, you know, a redwood tree falling over this road. The road wasn't very big in itself. But having said that, there's no way we're getting around this thing. For sure. So we thought, okay, there's like 35 of us. All right, everyone out of the bus. Let's move this thing. And I felt pretty confident that we can move it. And so we came up to the tree, and we all were there. We were, were all lined up. The bus was behind us. Mexican music playing, you know, and then from the bus. And we all began to try to push this tree. It wasn't budging at all. We couldn't move it whatsoever. And so as we began trying to move this thing and trying to move it about 15 minutes, 20 minutes, and you know, there's all, everyone's got an idea. Well, let's come over here on this side. Let's move over on this side. And if we all, maybe if we all stood back and ran and, and then pushed it, <laughs> that was my idea. But <laughs> so it finally got to a place where this little girl, her name was Rebecca. And all of a sudden she said, Pastor Jimmy, Pastor Jimmy, I'm all, what? She goes, why don't we pray that we can move the tree? And I'm like, yeah, 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 we'll, we'll pray afterwards after we move it. <laughs> Pastor Jimmy, you know, great spiritual response. And so, lo and behold, about an hour later, I thought, you know, we should probably pray. Okay, maybe it wasn't an hour, but we decided to pray. We came together, we huddled up, we left the tree, and, and we prayed in the name of Jesus that we would be able to move this tree. And so we go right back to the tree, and all of a sudden, shh, 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 and we began to move this thing out of the way, and it was so awesome. And we knew at that point in time, like, wow, God showed up. 
We prayed about this. God showed up. We moved the tree. No one got back into the bus. We all just began running. <laughs> you know, all these like teenagers running back down the mountain. But we came to a place where we understood a very, very, very valuable lesson in our walks with the Lord. That prayer is vital constantly to be walking in prayer. And there was a man, King Hezekiah, in around 700, 725 B.C. We see him in 2 Kings chapter 18. And this is where we're going to be. We're going to kind of bounce around there this morning. We're going to see how Hezekiah was a man who sought after the Lord, but he forgot at a certain point in time how valuable and how powerful prayer is. And when we think about this, I think we have to, to not give in to the temptation of like, oh yeah, praying. Duh. I mean, I'm a Christian, we pray, and, and that's what we do as believers, especially men, you know, it's something that we're supposed to do. But let's hit the pause button on any preconceived thoughts about prayer and understand that like, no, maybe God wants to do something fresh in our lives in regards to prayer, in regards to being a disciple, we need to go over fundamentals from time to time. We need to come back to that place where we realize how important prayer is. So King Hezekiah, he was the king of of Judah. He was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned for 29 years. We know in verse 3, he did what was right in the sight of the Lord. In verse 5 and 6, we see that he trusted in the Lord. He held fast to the Lord. We see in in verse 7 that the Lord was with him. In fact, this same story of King Hezekiah is in 2 Chronicles chapter 31, and it says that, that he prospered wherever he went. Because he trusted in the Lord. Because he was steadfast, immovable in his relationship with God. And he was the one that came in and began to turn over Judah from idol worship. The whole nation of Israel was, at this point in time in history, was worshiping idols, was worshiping things that weren't of the Lord whatsoever. He came in and just turned them. He turned over everything to point back to God. To point the nation back to God once again. And he was the man that God used. And so we know as King Hezekiah was a good king, he did good things before the Lord. God was blessing what he was doing, setting the tone for the people. There began to be a shift coming back to the Lord. Whenever that takes place, whenever we begin to pursue the Lord in a more powerful way, in a more dynamic way, what happens? Attack. And something very important that we need to understand, men. This is going to be awesome up here, worshiping the Lord and growing close to Jesus. But when we go back down the mountain, expect the attack to come. It's going to take place. And the Lord is calling us to focus. Now, this particular attack that King Hezekiah was about to face was war. The Assyrians. We're about ready to attack. And we pick it up in verse 13 of chapter 18 of 2 Kings. It says this, And in the 14th year of King Hezekiah, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came up against all the fortified cities of Judah and took them. Then Hezekiah, king of Judah, sent to the king of Assyria 
and lashes, saying, I have done wrong. Turn away from me. Whatever you impose on me, I will pay. And the king of Assyria assessed Hezekiah, king of Judah, 300 talents of silver and 30 talents of gold. So Hezekiah gave him all the silver that was found in the house of the Lord and in the treasuries of the king's house. At that time, Hezekiah stripped the gold from the doors of the temple of the Lord and from the pillars which Hezekiah, king of Judah, had overlaid and gave it to the king of Assyria. The Assyrians dominated the lands at that particular point in time in history. Nobody stopped the Assyrians. When they came to conquer, they did just that. They had a policy to make examples of those who resisted them. In fact, they were the first ones to develop the battering ram strategy. You know that one, the one where they would get the huge trees and they would come to the gates of a city and just ram the city gates in order to get into the city. They also, they came in, they wanted to make examples. So if anyone else would come around to the city that they were conquering, they wanted to make examples of the people so that other countries would see the example and be terrified of them. In fact, they would go in and after they would have war and they, after there would be a slaughter, they would go into those who that they just took and they would cut off the heads of the other soldiers and they would place them on spears and place them in front of the entrance into any city. They were a threat. They did not care. They, all those who resisted them were subject to human torture. And so you could understand how Hezekiah felt. Nobody came close in taking out the Assyrians at this point in time. And so all of a sudden, he hears that the Assyrians are coming after Judah. He is in charge. He is the king. And so the first response that King Hezekiah had, the man that trusted in the Lord, the man that had favor, the man that the Lord was with him and and he prospered in whatever he did, his first response when he hears the threat of the attack was, I'll pay him off. The the, the buyout, so to speak. And we, we see him saying, I have done wrong. Turn away from me. Whatever you impose on me, I will pay. What did King Hezekiah do wrong? Nothing. But the fact of the matter was, was that he was operating in fear. So he just wanted to get out of the situation. He's trying to make things happen in his own thoughts. Just thinking, oh, what's the best thing I can do? Oh, I'll strip everything in the house of the Lord and give it to them. I'll pay them off. And we think about that. Well, was that the right move? I mean, taking care of the situation as a king, paying off the the invading uh, Assyrians with gold, with money and all of that. Was that right? Was that a good strategy to have? And it wasn't at all. Because it was a lack of faith of King Hezekiah at this particular point. It was a lack of him trusting in the Lord. He decided, oh, we'll trust in money at this point in time. It was a lapse of judgment for sure. But it could come at a great cost because the Assyrians were coming anyway. And and scripture says that as the payoff, the buyout went out, they got it and they said, we're still coming. 
this isn't stopping us. If you've paid us off with this gold and silver, there's got to be more, and we're coming for you, and we're coming to get you. That was the first response. Now, again, the pressure of the Assyrians coming, the decisions that a king has to make are are, are crazy. I, I could never imagine what responsibilities this king would have. The second response here, we pick it up in verse 19. Then the Rabshakeh, and that was the, the second in command next to Sennacherib, King Sennacherib of the Assyrians, he said to them, who's them, to um, those in Judah, he's communicating to them, they sent kind of a forerunner before they invaded Judah, they sent somebody to communicate to them, and that was known as the Rabshakeh. Now the Rabshakeh said to them, Say now to Hezekiah, thus says the great king, the king of Assyria, what confidence is this in what you trust? You speak of having plans and power for war, but they are mere words. And in whom do you trust that you rebel against me? Now look, verse 21, you are trusting in the staff of this broken reed, Egypt, on which if a man leans, it will go into his hand and pierce it. So is Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to all who trust in him. The first response King Hezekiah had was the buyout. The second response was to ally with Egypt. Again, this was... King Hezekiah not seeking the Lord, but thinking this is the best option in his own mind. I'll pay him off. Now ally with Egypt. Nothing good ever happens by allying with Egypt. And this Rabshakeh was calling him out, saying, this is not going to help your case. You are going to ally with Egypt, but it's going to bring your troubles to absolutely nothing. Or or it's going to excel your troubles even more. We're still coming after you. Not to mention that we see a division beginning to unfold here. Now, therefore, jump down to verse 23. The same situation, the same conversation is happening. Now, therefore, I urge you, give a pledge to my master, king of Assyria... And I will give you 2,000 horses if you are able on your part to put riders on them. How then will you repel one captain of the least of my master's servants and put your trust in Egypt for chariots and horsemen? So now we have not only the attempt to ally with Egypt, but now the Assyrians and a commander comes in wanting to sway the people of Judah away from King Hezekiah, away from where God wanted them to be, to join forces with the king of Assyria, whose name is Sennacherib. Now, this is a potential division that's taking place. Essentially, we see in verse 29 through 31, this guy saying, don't listen to King Hezekiah. You have no reason listening to him because he's not going to lead you to success. In fact, we can read it for ourselves. In verse 29, it says, thus says the king, do not let Hezekiah deceive you. For he shall not be able to deliver you from his hand, nor let Hezekiah make you trust in the Lord, saying, The Lord will surely deliver us. This city shall not be given into the hand of the shall excuse me, this city shall 
not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Do not listen to Hezekiah, for thus says the king of Assyria, make peace with me by a present and come out to me. And every one of you eat from his own vine and every one of you his own fig tree and every one of you drink the waters of his own cistern. So basically, the king of Assyria is coming and he's saying, listen, come on, come to the dark side and I will give you the comforts that you need. Your, your food will be replenished. You will have water. You will have sustenance in order to survive what's about ready to take place with war. Come over to this side. And so all this is happening under King Hezekiah's leadership. The threat of war. War is going to take place. Hezekiah tries to buy him out. Hezekiah tries to ally with Egypt. Hezekiah is operating in his own flesh. Meanwhile, the, the, the camp has potentially potential of dividing. His army has potential of going with the Assyrians, going with the king of Assyria. This is a lot of pressure. This is a lot of trouble that is taking place. Now, if we stand in the shoes of Hezekiah, we can kind of get the taste of what's going on being pulled in so many different directions, not certain what to do, not, not leaning in. One thing that he tried, it didn't work. Another thing he tried, it didn't work. There's pressure building from people. There's pressure building from the, the decisions that he's trying to make. Here's what happened with the people. We see in verse 36, but the people held their peace. And answered him not a word, for the king's commandment was, do not answer him. So we see that even though there was the threat of division coming at their Judah's warriors, Judah's army, they held their ground. They held their peace. And why was that? Because we go back to the beginning of the chapter and we see the things that Hezekiah did trusted in the Lord. We see the things that Hezekiah did, that, that he did what was right in the sight of the Lord. We see him making a stand upon God and trusting in God no matter what the outcome was. We see him making a stand there. It set the tone for Judah. It set the tone for them. It's very much like our homes. Is that we set the tone, men, for our home. We set the tone in how our wives or our children are going to seek after Jesus. The Lord's given us this, for those of us who are husbands and fathers, this, this amazing, beautiful, huge responsibility of leading our families spiritually, of being men of God, men that trust the Lord, no matter the circumstances. See, when that happens... We set the tone for our families. Then our wives begin to trust in the Lord in new ways. Our children see a marriage that's trusting in the Lord. And that's something that they desire to have at a particular point in time for them. The household is built upon the foundation of the Lord. Because nothing else will stand in this day and age. Except that foundation in the Lord. What kind of tone is being set in your home? Because it's something. If it's not of the Lord, it's going to be 
something else that isn't of the Lord. Back into our text, without a doubt, war is coming. Hey, what do you do when attack is coming in your life? I mean, what are some things that, that take place? It might not look like a physical war that, that is happening, but definitely it's a spiritual one. The, the attacks of the flesh, that we, there's an attack coming that, that we give in to, whether it be temptation of looking at things on our phone that we shouldn't or watching a movie that, that we shouldn't. There, there's an attack for us as men. There's a bullseye on each and every one of us. Maybe it's, it's finances. Maybe there's an attack that happens through finances. Maybe it's our health. Maybe it's our marriage. There's an attack absolutely on every single marriage that's here. That the Lord wants to divide them. The, the, uh, not the Lord. The Lord wants to strengthen them. But our enemy wants to divide them. Maybe the attack comes with our children. And our children not making good decisions. And we see that and we don't know what to do. Or sometimes we, we've, we've had that knee-jerk reaction to help a matter and it hasn't been the right one. What do we do when the attack comes? And if there isn't an attack currently that you're in, hey man, one's coming for sure. And we have to recognize that this attack that you and I face is a spiritual one, right? And we know, and this is a familiar verse for some of us in, in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18, if you want to jump there really quick. We know that Paul encourages us to put on the full armor of God because in verse 12 of chapter 6, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness, of this age against a spiritual host of wickedness in the heavenly places. That's where the battle lies. It's a spiritual one. It's not against flesh and blood. It's our enemy, Satan, one to attack us spiritually. And so as Paul lists the armor that we are to put on, the helmet of salvation, the shield of faith, and these type of things, one thing that, that he implements towards the end in verse 18, he says this, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. That is our strategy when the attack comes. That yes, we, we, we recognize what it is. And we, and we put on that armor and we're praying always. We're coming before the Lord and we're lifting. That attack is coming. We're lifting it back up to Him. We're saying, God, take this. And we have to allow God to take it because we can't handle it on our own. We were never meant or intended to handle the attacks that come from Satan on our own. But he's given us this armor. He's given us the avenue of prayer. Prayer establishes intimacy with God. When we begin to pray, God becomes our defense when the attack comes. We're called to be, in essence, when we see that this is where we get prayer warriors from. Because warriors have armor. Warriors go into battle armed up and ready. Someone once said that if you stay ready by prayer and putting on the armor of God, you don't have to get ready. 
If you're constantly in a place where, man, it's a new day, I got my armor on, and I'm ready for whatever may come my way, I'm going to go fight for, for my family. I'm going to go fight by serving the Lord. I'm going to do what God has called me to do. We are called to be these warriors backed by our prayer lives, by walking in prayer. And this is something that is not easy to do because there's always so many distractions that come along the way that distract. I don't know about you, that distract me from coming into that zone of praying continually. We're, we're going to talk about that a little bit later. But as we are these prayer warriors, we're called to be men who are warriors in, in the area of prayer, who have our armor on. We're called to not only pray about the attack that's coming upon us personally, we're called to pray for our wives, to pray for our children, to pray for our brothers and sisters, to pray for our enemies, to pray for our witness that we are in the workplaces. In fact, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1 and 2, Paul says this, Therefore I exhort, first of all, that supplication, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks may be made for all men, for kings, and all who are in authority, that we may lead quiet and peaceful life and godliness and reverence. We're called to pray for all men, even for those who are politicians. Even for those that we don't like and we don't like what we hear and it just makes us cringe. The Lord says, I want you to pray for them. Hey, there might be somebody that gets elected that you don't like. That you think is a junk show that you don't even want. Oh man, I can't believe it might be that way. We're called to pray for them. A man who's a warrior in this arena. Our nation needs you to stand up and to pray for these things, to not be on the sidelines yelling about how disgruntled you are about this issue or that issue, but to stand in the gap and saying, it doesn't matter. What matters is me coming before and praying for that guy, praying for that woman, whatever it might be. Back to our text into 2 Kings. And we see what takes place. Chapter 19 begins. And we see, again, war is coming. The Assyrians are not buying into any of King Hezekiah's tactics. Any of King Hezekiah's strategies that he thought up with on his own. Now, he does something that is the best decision he's made in a while. And so it was, verse 1 of chapter 19, when King Hezekiah heard it, that he tore his clothes, heard what? That the Assyrians were coming. The attack was coming. When he heard it, that he tore his clothes, covered himself with sackcloth, and went into the house of the Lord. It pushed him into going into the house of the Lord. Maybe for you, circumstances have pushed you to go on the men's retreat have put you in a place that's going to bring forth success, that's going to bring forth an urgency that that you're now going to have to be that warrior, to to walk in prayer, to, to leave here going, wow, 
I have this as a resource in my life that God has given me that I could communicate with him at any time. It'll establish me to be intimate with my Lord at any time. He went into the house of the Lord and that began to once again set the tone. He's going to be strengthened in the house of the Lord. You're going to be strengthened here this weekend. You're going to go back to your church, and you're going to be strengthened there. Not only will you be strengthened there, you're going to be the person that is going to set the tone there as well because of what God is doing in your life right here and now. But the first step comes with that willingness to make the effort. You've made the effort to come here. Now the Lord's saying, I need you to make the effort to be a warrior to walk in prayer, to be a man of God that that will pray in all situations and all circumstances because that's what is needed at such a time as this for men to rise up and saying, you know what, I don't have it all figured out. For men to rise up saying, I, you know, I'm, I'm not a missionary. I, I'm not, you know, a pastor. You don't have to be any of those things. You have to be a man of prayer, a man that, that, that will gain strength from Jesus, and he's the one that's going to make a difference. There's such a time as this. There needs to be a difference being made in our nation, in our homes, in our communities. It's not getting any better. But by prayer, there's momentum. Amen? So as that takes place, as King Hezekiah comes back into the house of the Lord and begins to seek the Lord, one of the things that he does that we see in verse 5, he sends his leaders to Isaiah. Isaiah, the prophet. Now, I love Isaiah. He comes into the scene. He comes in, and Isaiah always comes, and he brings good news. He comes, and he will build up those who are seeking his counsel. In fact, in verse 6, it says, And Isaiah said to them, who's them? King Hezekiah and all those surrounding him, those in Judah, those who were a part of the army. And Isaiah said to them, verse 6 of chapter 19, Thus says you shall say to your master, Thus says to the Lord, Do not be afraid of the words which you have heard, with which the servants of the king of Assyria have blasphemed me. Surely I will send a spirit upon him, and he shall hear a rumor and return to his own land, and I will cause him to fall by the sword in his own land. There was an effort the king Hezekiah made coming back into the house of the Lord. Now all of a sudden he sees a glimpse, the big picture. Hey, don't be afraid. Why is that important? Because he was walking in fear. This is what God does. He meets us right where we're at. He knows exactly where our emotions are or aren't. He knows exactly where our weaknesses are, and he comes right there. Don't be afraid of this. I've got this. I will take care of this situation. Sennacherib is nothing compared to God Almighty. And God's going to take care of it. Meanwhile, throughout the rest portion of that chapter from verse 7 to verse 13, King Hezekiah receives a threatening letter 
from the Assyrian king Sennacherib. Basically, without, we don't have to dive into it. The letter states a threat against God. The letter states that they're coming anyway. They're coming for invasion. This is going to happen. War is going to take place. Whether you like it or not, it's going to happen. And so remember the pressure that Hezekiah is under. Because you feel pressure in your life with work, with marriage, with sometimes church and having to be at church because you've committed to serving. And sometimes it's all just like coming down and it feels like a, a ton of bricks. So as Hezekiah is feeling all of this, and I don't know about you, but I certainly have broken in those moments. Where I've just come to a place where it's like, wow, I can't, I, I can't do this. I've been spread out so thin before, involved in so many different things that, that quite honestly, I, w- I wasn't any good anywhere <laughs> because, because of that weight. The Lord doesn't want us to hold on to that like that. He wants us to establish communication with him, to be intimate with him. He'll take that burden. He'll take it. That's why he says, come to me. If you're weary, heavenly burdened, I'll give you rest. Burden is light. My my yoke is easy. Come to me. How do we come to him? By prayer, by seeking him, by being vulnerable, by being honest before Jesus. All the pressure leads Hezekiah to go into the house of the Lord. And now we see in verse 14, and Hezekiah received this threatening letter Verse 14 of chapter 19 of 2 Kings. Received the letter from the hand of the messengers and read it. And Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. I could just see this. He goes to the house of the Lord and he spreads out this letter. Almost as if, here it is. I can't do it on my own anymore. I, I, I don't know what to do. And look at the next verse. Then Hezekiah prayed. Before the Lord God and said, O Lord God of Israel, the one who dwells between the cherubim, you are God, you alone of all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see and hear the words of Sennacherib, which he has sent to reproach the living God. Truly, Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste the nations and the lands and have cast their gods into the fire, for they were not gods, but the work of men's hands would and stone, therefore they destroyed them. Now, therefore, O Lord our God, I pray, save us from his hand that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you are the Lord God, you alone. Yeah. All of that stress, anxiety, trying to figure things out on his own, trying to make things happen, nothing was working. But he almost had to go there anyway. And, and then the continual threat, the Assyrians, they're coming anyway. None of your, none of your things that you come up with is going to work out. War is going to happen. You guys are going to be destroyed. Finally, he prays. He prays. And this is what happens when men begin to pray. God comes to the rescue. Even if the problem 
is not solved the way you think it should. Do you know that? That, that God, when we come before him in prayer, that he begins to be activated to go before us in that prayer, but it doesn't often look like the way that you think it should, the way that I think it should. And we have to be careful there because we might come to a place where we think, Psh, God didn't show up. I prayed. I did my part. God, if we're being honest, God, God didn't do it. God didn't show up. But God did show up. It just didn't look the way that you wanted it to. God did show up. It didn't happen in the timing that you wanted it to happen. He always shows up. He always comes. But know that his will is always what is best, and it might not be your will. But he knows. He calls us to play our part and come to him and bring that burden before him and pray about your neighbor to him and and come and bring that situation, come and bring that broken marriage and lay it before the Lord. And you might be frustrated because you've been praying and praying about this thing and just nothing has happened that you can see. You continue to pray for that thing. You continue to come before the Lord and realize that he is at work. Psalms 107 verse 28 says this. Then the cry of the Lord in their trouble. Then if I knew how to read, this would really help my ministry out, wouldn't it? (laughs) Then they cry out to the Lord in their trouble and he brings them out of their distress He calms the storm so that the waves are still. Then they are glad because they are quiet. So he guides them to their desired haven. When we could be men that could come before the Lord and walk in prayer, he brings us to safety. He calms the storm. It might not be solved, but there's a peace and there's an acceptance When you bring that, whatever that might be in your life, there's an acceptance and there's a peace that he brings. When we become men of prayer, all of a sudden, if this is consistent in our life, we become watchmen. And we realize the role of that watchman, that one that looks out and and prevents something that is not safe. Something that is dangerous. We know in Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 1 says this, I will stand my watch and set myself on rampart and watch to see what he will say to me and what I will answer when I am corrected. Coming into a place where we can make prayer the priority of our lives We understand that God will always show up, not necessarily in the way that that we think he should, but in the way that is his will, and that's always what's best. And also when we begin to have that, that pattern of prayer in our life, we become watchmen. We are aware of those things that could be dangerous that might be coming into our homes. How are we gonna know? Unless we're praying. Lord, give me eyes to see the dangers that are out there. Give me eyes to see how I can minister more effectively to my wife. 
are there things that my kids are flirting with right now? I need to be the watchman. How are you going to be the watchman unless you are coming to a place on your own and taking the time and being committed and disciplined to pray? You're not going to have eyes to see. But the beauty of it is when we're committed here and praying to the Lord, we become these watchmen and we see the dangers. We see spiritually what, what could be taking place, not, not just with our, our kids. That's huge. That's important. Our kids. If you guys have teenagers, everything's on their phone. Everything's there. And they get so ripped off by the world because of the sights, because of so self-consumed you can be with cell phones, with Snapchat and Facebook and Instagram and always, you know, taking pictures of yourself. We have to be aware of these things. And I'm not saying go home and, like, take your kid's cell phone and, and throw it out. But what I am saying is that, man, it, you better have eyes to see these things. And if there's tactics that you need to take in order to make your, your kids successful in that arena, man, we better take them. I love what Eric was saying, Pastor Eric, this, this morning, is that we're called to minister there. We're called to have eyes to know how to minister effectively to our wives and to our children. How are we going to do that if we're not being men, warriors of, of prayer? We also see as well, when we become warriors of prayer, we see the escape route when we're tempted. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. Praise God, right? But with the temptation will always also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. The escape route. How are you going to see it unless you're communicating with the Lord? Unless you're, you're consistent in your prayer life? If you don't see it, the, the, the escape route to the thing that you're tempted in, odds are you're going to give in to that temptation, whatever it might be. And coming, the Lord, is, the Lord knows this. The Lord knows how difficult it is. He was tempted himself. That's why he gives us this escape route, this escape plan. We have to know the escape plan, and we don't know it. It's not like it's like written out for us, but we know Jesus, and we know if we're seeking him, it's like, I'm going to see a way to get out of this situation. Oh, man, there's that, there's that sight. You know, I'm on MSN, on, and the news, and all of a sudden, there's this little like, um, area that you can click in to, to look at you know, naked women. And so it's like, oh, it's tempting. It's there. How are we going to know the escape route? Oh, just get out. You're at a stoplight. And all of a sudden, you know, walking in front of you in the crosswalk is like some beautiful women walking in front of you. How are you going to know how to get out of that situation unless you're praying to the Lord for strength and for guidance, for wisdom and discernment? You look down really quickly and you hope that it goes by fast and that might be the escape route. Or you're watching a movie and all of a sudden a scene pops up and you know you shouldn't be watching the scene. 
And that's where, man, I always just go, oh, yeah, I think I'm getting a text. And, and I just try to, like, make, like, yeah, okay, I'm being honest. I kind of, you know, there'll be some movies from time to time, and a scene will pop up that I shouldn't be watching. Where's the escape route? We know these escape routes when we're seeking the Lord in prayer. When we're seeking the Lord in prayer, we'll be a watchman. We'll be able to see those things when we're seeking the Lord in prayer. We'll know that his will is what is best. Now, when we are kind of winding down here, to be a consistent man of prayer is a challenge. I don't think I'm a, I, I don't think I pray well, to be honest. It's like my mind goes in a lot of different areas, if I'm being honest. And I want to spend time, and sometimes I get distracted. We could spend so much time on ESPN and watching sports, right? It's like, oh, my gosh, I'm going crazy because the Broncos can't figure out who's going to be their quarterback. And it's like taking all my time, and I'm thinking about, okay, they could go this way or that way. They could pick this guy in the draft. And it says, oh, my gosh, Really? We could waste so much time on ESPN and Netflix and, and Hulu, and YouTube. I want to throw out a challenge. That we'd cut back on that stuff. I'm not saying that stuff is bad. And a lot of that stuff can be used as ministry tools. But what if, and I'm, I'm talking to myself, what if I spent more time in prayer than I am watching this, you know, funny thing on, on YouTube? Because they, they sucker you in, man, or on Facebook. Like, you just go and you look at one thing that your son has, has told you to look at. Oh, that's, that's pretty, that's funny. And then you begin scrolling. And then an hour later, you're like, oh, what am I doing with my life? Gosh. <laughs> but what if we gave it up? Would we really miss out on a lot? No. What about just for a week? You said, you know what? I'm not gonna, you know, get tried. Maybe, maybe I'm, maybe it's just me. <laughs> but what if we just like put that stuff on hold and we go, you know what? I'm gonna commit. When I go back down the mountain, I'm gonna commit to praying more and Facebooking less. To praying more and Instagramming less or looking, just being so caught up in these freaking devices i'm gonna take it i'm gonna go and and it's just hitting me just now and i think that that is something that as paul talks us to be living sacrifices in romans chapter 12 that that our lives should be an act of worship an act of honoring the lord of drawing near to the lord those things that aren't honoring to the lord they're just not worth it the conclusion here is we're back in our text with Second Kings. We see King Hezekiah prays, and then here comes once again Isaiah, and he comes back in and he says this in, in verse 20 of chapter 19. He says, Then Isaiah, the son of Amos, Amos sent to Hezekiah saying, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, because you have prayed to me. Praying is vital. Praying is a fundamental that we need to walk in daily. Because you have prayed to me against Sennacherib, king of Assyria, I have heard. And then Isaiah goes on speaking 
um, from the Lord through the next verses, from verses 21 through 31, about the, the confidence that rests in God and God alone and so on and so forth. And then we see in verse 32, remember, because King Hezekiah prayed, Therefore, verse 32, thus says the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, he shall not come into this city, nor shoot an arrow there, nor come before it with shield, nor build a siege and mound against it. By the way that he came, by the same shall he return, and he shall not come into this city, says the Lord. For I will defend this city to save it for my own sake and for my servant David's sake. Yes. I get excited over that this story. It's so awesome. Coming to the place, King Hezekiah prays, realizes like, oh, I didn't have to try to uh, ally with us, with Egypt. I didn't have to like pay off the, the Assyrians with, with all the gold that was in the house of the Lord. That was probably not a good thing that I did that. I'm sorry for that, Lord. I didn't have to do and wrestle with all the stress that was involved. All I needed to do was come before the Lord in prayer. And now I know, right here in verse 32, that God's going to fight this battle. That God goes before us. Do you realize that in every way that we see that in Scripture, that when God fights our battles, God goes before us? We have to show up to the battle. I, I love that. Because the Lord makes us, okay, I'm going to go before you. I'm going to fight this battle. But you got to stand up in it. You can't just back away and, and cruise out the back door and go to Burger King while I'm fighting the battle. <laughs> Not that he needs our help anyway, but he wants us to see him show up. He wants us to see the hand of God come forth and be victorious. Okay, the biggest point in this story, the point where God drops the mic. We find it in verse 35 right here. And it came to pass on a certain night that an angel of the Lord went out and killed in the camp of the Assyrians 185,000. And when people arose in the morning, there were the corpses. I love it. Men's, men's retreat. We could talk about corpses. We talked about 185,000 corpses. There were the corpses all dead. So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and went away, returned home, and remained at Nineveh. By the way, King Sennacherib is going to have a shock of his life. If you read it in the next verse on your way out, it's pretty cool. But God went to town. And that was nothing for the Lord to take out the camp of the Assyrians. We serve the God of the impossible, amen? And we get to call upon him and we get to establish intimacy with the Lord by praying to him. And that might take some time for us to to be genuine there. To say, Lord, I'm screwing up here. I'm dropping the ball here. I've been irresponsible. I've been caught up in sin. Lord, would you take it? And he takes it. And it doesn't mean that you get all these fuzzy feelings and you start to, you know, twerk out or whatever. It just means that God's got it. And trust him there. Men, our nation needs us to be warriors in prayer. Our families need us 
We need each other. You know, that whole armor of God thing, and we're not going to look at it or anything like that, but I just want to say this in regards to praying for each other. When you look at the armor, nothing's covering the back. There's no shield on the back, per se, but you are got your brother's back. You've got your brother's back. By prayer, we pray for our brother who's in front of us. We have his back even if he's making poor choices, even if he's made poor choices and he's, he's struggling because of these things. We got his back no matter what. And it happens by prayer. Father God, thank you so much for this time. Thank you for these men for their willingness to be here this weekend. And I just pray that you would go before them, Lord God, and pave the way. May, may we follow you there, God. May we become men of prayer who are committed to be praying for the things that you put upon our heart. May we be committed to, to praying for the issues that we struggle with. May we realize that as we pray to you consistently, that we are becoming more intimate with you And our walks are becoming stronger in you, Lord Jesus. I want to know you deeper, God. I want to be the man of God that you were calling me to be for my wife and for my kids. And I pray for my brothers in this room. Even if there's some brothers that that aren't married, I pray for them, Lord God. I pray that you would strengthen them. I pray that they would be the men of God that you were calling them to be for their wives one day, Lord Jesus. As you are preparing their wives, prepare them, Lord God. And Father, for those of us who have children, who have wives at home, may we be who you need us to be so that we can minister the most effective way possible to them. We love you, Jesus. Thank you for this time. And it's in your name. And everybody said, amen.